1: Welcome back. Happy May 18th, 2021. Chris Cuomo, I was about to say the dumber one or the more incredible one, but then I had to stop myself as I'm not so sure. But last night, Chris Cuomo went on a rant against the Supreme Court taking up a Mississippi anti-abortion statute. Cuomo said this, quote, This is about legislating to the far-right white fright vote. This is about legislating to the far right white fright vote, close quote. Notice the new dispensation. Anything the left wants is anti-white racism or anti-white supremacy, be it about the border or energy or the climate or crime, you name it. Race explains everything and race only in one direction. That is to say only one race is bad and only one race can be good. And everything bad or undesirable is ascribed to one race. That's why the word white has made such a comeback. As one Austrian-born writer put it in 1925, quote, the moral mildew of the chosen race, close quote. All of this is one reason but one that we get perversions in public policy, perversions in science, education, economics, law, you name it. And when it comes to abortion policy, few things could be less true than efforts to limit abortions being about legislating to the far right white fright vote. You see, it turns out if white people wanted to limit black life, they would support more abortion, not less. But precisely because most pro-life white people do not think about life in terms of color. Which is to say, do not think about life the way the Cuomos think? Precisely because of Cuomo racism? Precisely because of this, more blacks are dying. As one recent story crunched the data, the CDC has released data showing that the black abortion rate is currently nearly four times greater than the white abortion rate and 2.15 times higher than the Hispanic abortion rate. These numbers reveal how abortion is disproportionately targeting the black community. The CDC also reveals that the black abortion rate exceeded all other races. Black abortion rate, 25.1, Hispanic, 11, white, 6. Not only did it exceed all other races, it exceeded all other races combined. In other words, as Walt Blackman has put it, when you use those percentages, it indicates that of the over 44 million abortions since 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court ruling, 19 million black babies were aborted. Do you realize with a black population in America today of 37 million, this means because of abortion policy in the United States, there are 51% less black Americans in our world today? Before I ask you who the real geneticists are here, who the real blanchers of society are here, let me give you some more from Walt Blackman. 79% of Planned Parenthood's surgical abortion facilities are located within walking distance of minority communities. In the past, we criticized things like the tobacco industry for targeting young people with their advertising. Recently, the nicotine vape industry has been criticized for similar practices. The prevalence of abortion providers in African-American neighborhoods indicates the abortion industry is targeting as well. It smacks of the eugenics-linked past of Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger and her views of contraception and abortion as ways of diminishing the black population. The impact on our black communities is hard to fathom. According to the Guttmacher Institute, in an average year, 360,000 black babies are aborted. CDC CDC statistics show that 287,000-plus black deaths occurred from all other causes, excluding abortion in a given year. So by these numbers, abortion is the leading cause of death among blacks in America. And yet we who try to prevent or curb these things are doing so for the far-right white vote, according to the Cuomos. Nice work if you can get it, Doctor. But let me just end this thought with something Michael Novak once wrote. Abortion has made a silent generation of the black community. Silent as a tomb. Abortion has swept through the black community like a scythe, cutting down nearly every fourth member. This is why, precisely why Ronald Reagan, in 1983, would write a book on abortion, the only sitting president to write a book so far as I know, and he titled it Abortion and the Conscience of a Nation, analogizing the fight for life with the fight to end slavery. Ronald Reagan was not alone, but here is how he closed his book. Good old, moderate, easygoing Ronald Reagan. I quote, quote, Abraham Lincoln recognized that we could not survive as a free land when some men could decide that others were not fit to be free and should therefore be slaves. Likewise, we cannot survive as a free nation when some men decide that others are not fit to live and should be abandoned to abortion or infanticide. There is no cause more important for preserving that freedom then affirming the transcendent right to the life of all human beings, the right without which no other right has any meaning, Close quote. Note I said earlier, Ronald Reagan was not alone. Here was a very famous black civil rights activist in 1977 writing in the Human Life Review, writing, not speaking, off the cuff, quote, there are those who argue that the right to privacy is of a higher order than the right to life. I do not share that view. I believe that life is not private, but rather it is public and universal. If one accepts the position that life is private and therefore you have the right to do with it as you please, one must also accept the conclusion of that logic. And that was the premise of slavery. You could not protest the existence or treatment of slaves on the plantation because that was private and therefore outside Of your right to concern. Another area that concerns me greatly, namely because I know how it has been used with regard to race, is the psycholinguistics involved in this whole issue of abortion. If something can be dehumanized through rhetoric and used to describe through eponymous words, then the major battle has been won. Think of the word slave, think of the N word. The first step was to distort the image of us as human beings in order to justify that which they wanted to do and not even feel like they had done anything wrong. Those advocates of taking life prior to birth do not call it killing or murder. They call it abortion. They further never talk about aborting a baby because that would imply something human. Rather, they talk about a fetus. Fetus sounds less than human and therefore it's doing away with can be justified. In conclusion. Even if one does take life by aborting the baby, as a minister of Jesus Christ, as the civil rights activist wrote, I must also inform and or remind you that there is a doctrine of forgiveness. The God I serve is a forgiving God. The men who killed President John F. Kennedy and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. can be forgiven. Everyone can come to the mercy seat and find forgiveness and acceptance. But, and this may be the essence of my argument, Suppose one is so hard-hearted and so indifferent to life until he assumes that there is nothing for which to be forgiven. What happens to the mind of a person and the moral fabric of a nation that accepts the aborting of the life of a baby without a pang of conscience? What kind of person and what kind of society will we have years hence if life can be taken so casually? It is that question. The question of our attitude, our value system, and our mindset with regard to the nature and worth of life itself that is the central question confronting mankind. Failure to answer that question affirmatively will leave us with a hell right here on Earth. That civil rights activist was Jesse Jackson. Running for president as a Democrat, later he changed his views, or had to, But it doesn't make his previous position wrong. It's just that his truth changed. The truth didn't. Margaret Sanger, who founded Planned Parenthood, wrote of eugenics that it would reestablish the balance between the, quote, fit and unfit. She had Adolf Hitler's genetics advisor, Ernst Rudin, write a defense of eugenics for her magazine. Last year, the New York offices of Planned Parenthood in response to a BLM moment took Margaret Sanger's name off their building, and that was a pretty good start. There are some other starts an advanced society might think about taking. Perhaps remembering all that took place in Germany in the 1920s and 1930s and 1940s would be a good one. Professor Robert George of Princeton puts it this way, the Holocaust, the Shoah, did not begin with the mass killings of Jews or other ethnic or religious minorities or even Hitler's political opponents. It began with the killing of the handicapped and infirm. They were, according to Nazi ideology, useless eaters, parasites, Leben, lives unworthy of life, same phrases Margaret Sanger used. It is important to remember that this eugenic doctrine did not originate with Nazis. It began with polite, urbane, well-educated, sophisticated people who saw social hygiene via, among other methods, as representing progress and modernity. They wanted to ditch the old Judeo-Christian belief in the sanctity of all human life and replace it with what they regarded as a more advanced and rational philosophy, progress, and all that. A good start for the precincts of CNN and the Cuomos to engage in true progress might just be for them to look at and read a little history. And in doing so, history not through the lens of grievance as Marx instructs, but as it really happened, because sometimes the grievance industry usually comes from the losers in history, which is why it is so ironic for me to see so-called progressives today engage in and deploy the same rhetoric in history as other massive moral losers in world history like the Confederacy and the Third Reich. But that is what they do. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Want to thank um, want to thank Robert Graham particularly for uh, helping out yesterday. Glad to be back. Glad to be with you and um, Mike Gallagher coming up uh, in just a bit. We'll talk about what's going on in uh, Gallagher world, but he's coming to town along with Seb Gorka on uh, May twenty uh, fifth. And uh, we are going to be doing an event called Crisis at the Border here in Scottsdale. Uh, Mike and I are going the day before with Andy Biggs to visit the border. And then May 25th, Andy Biggs and Mike Gallagher and I and Seb Gorka love to meet with you and talk with you about the crisis at the border and all that it stands for and all that it represents as part and parcel of the um, larger, uh, larger progressive. Agenda to radically uh, change or fundamentally uh, change America. I see that the House Democrats have voted down. This is great. House Democrats have voted down uh, sanctions <clears throat> against uh, the terror group Hamas. Is this hard for people? Um, is this hard for people to not grasp that we have a terrorist organization that has a charter, a covenant, as most organizations do, if not fought was. And for all the um, all the slandering that Rashida Tlaib is um, engaging in against Israel right now with a willing media to cover it and broadcast those lies would 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 one reporter ask her for a comment just one for a comment on the charter of Hamas just one i can read you excerpts here's one israel will exist and will continue to exist until islam will obliterate it just as it obliterated others before it here's another Hamas is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. Every inch. Every inch. So when Rashida Tlaib speaks of supporting a one state solution in Palestine, it's worth understanding that that one state is not Israel, is not a Jewish state. There is a one-state solution that has been around for a long time, and it is the one that the, that Hamas and its supporters have been pushing and fighting for. It is one state. It's just not a Jewish one. It's just not Israel. Um, we'll say more about that. In uh, just a little bit. But I I just I I just wonder what has happened to um, to this Democratic Party. It just it's it's that that it can tolerate the kinds of apartheid uh, comparisons being made to Israel, as well as the um, uh, slanders uh, against it with fallacious arguments such as, well, the Palestinians don't have an Iron Dome. Well, they do. They do have an Iron Dome. It's called Don't Rain Missiles on Israel. That's their Iron Dome. If they don't want to be attacked by Israel, don't rain missiles on Israel. If they want 100% assurance that not a single Israeli strike will hit a single Gazan, don't fire missiles at Israel. Because when you don't, they don't start... Lobbing missiles into Gaza. Do remember, Israel pulled out of Gaza lock, stock, and barrel. Lock, stock, and barrel. There's not an Israeli to be found in Gaza and hasn't been for 15 years. It's part of the over 90% of the land from 1967 Israel did give after that war. Apartheid state. Um. Wow. Wow. Like Trump being Hitler. You have victims of apartheid who wished that that's what apartheid was for. Nelson Mandela went to jail to oppose apartheid, which meant separate facilities, which meant no voting, which meant no representation. None of that is true of Israel. None of it. None of its Supreme Court justices have been Arab. There are Arab members of parliament in a higher percentage of the population than there are even minorities in Congress here in America. Voting rights, civil rights, it's it's – when people talk about and look at a war between Hamas and Israel and they talk about equivalence or they talk about – both sides having claims or they talk about both sides being wrong. Think about what it means if one side wins. Well, one side had one, Israel, and it gave Gaza total autonomy. Total. And Gaza had elections and elected a terrorist organization, Hamas. And Israel did what about it? Nothing. Nothing. Did nothing about it. Just as it did nothing about Egypt when it put in Hamas's own Muslim Brotherhood as a leadership country neighboring Israel, where it had given the Suez, excuse me, the Sinai Desert back to Egypt. What did Israel do about the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, Palestinians have an Iron Dome. It's called Don't Shoot Missiles. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 34 past the hour. Delight to bring back John Dombrowski, who gives us our culture and economy update from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, where he is the president and founder, grandcanyonplanning.com, his website. How are you, John?
2: Fantastic, Seth. How's it going?
1: I'm doing fine. Thank you, sir. Thank you. A question. Yes. How popular do you think this electric F-150 Ford pickup will be? I I ask because I just got to tell you, it seems to me most people who drive trucks, I I, I think they're not going to like the feel of an electric pickup. Well, that's
2: possible, but have have you driven a Tesla or
1: any electric car?
2: Okay, so it's pretty amazing the amount of power those have, right? Immediate power as soon as you touch that pedal. Um, And it's not really discriminating, you know, based on model. They're all just equally fast when you hit that gas pedal. Uh, not even a gas pedal the battery
1: pedal I yeah guess. right 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 no but <laughs> it's that's gonna fine. be
2: different I, but I, they're actually talking about ways to make some you know noise from some of these electric cars was a so kevin
1: james be- movie about that he and will smith or someone had a movie about inventing the thing that made an electric car sound like a real one
2: <laughs> right <laughs> anyway so you know. i guess that's going to be you know the case but it's interesting it's definitely going to be uh uh, a different feel, but I think it's probably going to catch on. I think it'll be a pretty popular vehicle.
1: Well, speaking of different and interesting, John, every day seems yeah. to bring something. So I get that this country for a long time has paid people when they're not working. It right. seems they're now in a place where they're paying them not to work. At the same time, I'm seeing this story. CBS had one today. States are now paying people to work so we're paying them when they don't work they're paying them not to work and now we're paying them to go to work this is kind of interesting
2: it's kind of a crazy world out there right now isn't it so we know that we've talked about this we've got a tremendous amount of people millions of people still not in the workforce but some of it is not because of the work um the jobs that are available it's because people don't want to go back to work because they're still getting this excess benefit. And now, in order to get people back to work, there's this talk about some states saying, we're going to pay up to $1,200 if you can go back and get a full-time job and hold, this is interesting, and hold that job for at least, I think it was uh, eight or 12 weeks only, you have to hold the job. After that, if you want to quit again, I guess you can go back on unemployment, Uh, but you'd get a bonus for this. This is uh, kind of crazy, but it's sad that we're coming to this, that we have to pay people um, just a bonus just to try to go back to work.
1: Um, it, it, it it can't last long, these policies, can they? I mean, at a certain point between paying people to go to work and paying people not to, we're going to go bankrupt, aren't we?
2: Well, these are the individual states now doing yeah. like Connecticut. So sure. Connecticut's saying they will um, award $1,000 to up to 10000 jobless workers who'll find full time work and hold the job for at least eight weeks. That's what it says. So in Oklahoma they're gonna raise you two hundred. So they're gonna give you twelve hundred <laughs> and up to twenty thousand people. Well I suppose I mean, that's it's,
1: one it's, way. States used to compete by having jobs available with low tax rates. Now they're right. gonna compete by subvention by giving people more money just to a subsidy. Yeah. Giving
2: them a subsidy up oh. front, right now I don't know if this will be a tax might even be a tax free bonus. I don't know. Uh, But this is going to be interesting. Here's the, the challenge. If you have a business and you're trying to find someone now as an employee and you are having to pay more for that, what's going to happen to this product or service that you're providing to the public? You're probably going to have to raise your prices. So this is what businesses are faced with right now. And until we get this squared away, there's going to be a lot of unknowns, and this is why people are still fearful about the possibility of high inflation.
1: How, what is the difference between inflation and stores just raising their prices? None, really, to the consumer. None. No, it's, right. it's
2: inflation is the rise yep. in the cost of goods and right. services. Right. Whether right. it's due to a uh, you know a yeah, monetary policy, right. exactly, or or a just uh, I'm going to just raise my price right. because I think my product is worth more than what I'm selling it right. for today.
1: Right. Policy will drive either one of them. Sometimes, yeah. fed, uh, sometimes uh, fiscal, sometimes monetary. John, other thank thing, you. One thing, just real yeah. quickly, yeah. Yeah. is yeah.
2: that. Um, I want people, I know people who listen to television or radio, whatever it is, uh, sometimes politics and the markets don't go hand in hand. Right. So don't let political, you know, policy out there that you're hearing about drive your financial decisions. I think there are some good, solid investments out there. Talk to your advisor about that.
1: Thank you, sir.
2: You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client1 Securities LLC, a member of FinRent and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Planning Associates, LLC, and Client1 Securities LLC are not affiliated. Talk tomorrow. Okay, brother. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.
1: Let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy, who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. If you're tired of the power increases, the power bill increases you get From the utility companies and are thinking of going solar, Solar Sandy is the way to go. She actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. So important if you do go solar that you do it the right way. And Solar Sandy has that formula. Plus, if you sign up now, she'll pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year. And you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. She's amazing. And you can not just have to take my word for it, you can take to the testi- read the testimonials on her website, AskSolarsandy.com. They're amazing. To get started, go to AskSolarsandy.com, let her do all the work, or you can give her a call at six two three eight five zero eight two two nine. That's six two three eight five zero eight two two nine or ask Or dot. Um, The issue I was talking about a few moments ago on the Middle East and the violence taking place in Israel and Gaza comes with a lot of different facets, including a new world where the young and the woke try to set narratives And so, for example, um, one of the most popular places young people get their news and their kicks and their laughs is from Trevor Noah. Uh, It's unfortunate that this is the case because some of these people are um, true idiots. But um, David Harris in the Las Vegas Sun saw – Trevor Noah's the other night, give a disquisition on what's happening between Israel and Gaza and couldn't resist writing him. And here is what he wrote. You framed your comments quite cleverly by suggesting that there were competing narratives out there depending on who was doing the talking and starting point of their version of history. In the New York Times this week, Senator Bernie Sanders wrote an essay headlined, The United States Must Support an Even-Handed Approach. And then, as if nothing more than a curious third party, you waded into the debate, essentially assigning yourself a certain moral credibility because of your non-combatant status. But we are not entirely in a post-truth society yet, at least I hope not, where facts no longer exist in a Opinions rule the day, especially when canto- catapulted in the public square by celebrity status and legions of followers who admire you. So, for example, when you asserted that the British took the land from the Palestinians, not quite right. Actually, the British took the land from the Ottoman Turks who had ruled there for centuries in something called World War I. Palestinians never had a sovereign state of their own. Never, ever, ever, ever. The Jews did, by the way, though it was vanquished by the Romans nearly 2,000 years ago. But to fast forward, this conflict at its heart is about two competing national movements, and the only way to resolve it is perhaps by a negotiated settlement, and not by war. Simpler said than done, of course. And here we come to demonstrable facts. The United Nations recommended precisely such a two-state settlement as early as 1947. It was accepted by the Jews, rejected by the Palestinians and the Arabs. From 1948 to 1967, the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza were all an Arab, not Jewish hands. A Palestinian state could have been created at any time during those years. It wasn't. During the 2000-2001 time period, Israel, joined by President Bill Clinton, offered a viable two-state accord to the Palestinians. One of several offers over the past 20 years. They refused. That's not my conclusion, Bill Clinton describes it in his autobiography, My Life. Then we come to 2005, which has direct relevance to today. Israel unilaterally withdrew its forces and settlers from Gaza, giving local residents their first chance in history to govern themselves, something Ottoman Turkey and Egypt had never done In 2007, the Palestinian Authority was violently ousted and Hamas took control. It has wielded power ruthlessly ever since. What exactly is Hamas? A point you skipped in your monologue on the Middle East. It is a terrorist organization. That is not a personal view. It is the formal designation of the United States and the European Union. What's the goal of Hamas? Again, missing from your comments. Israel's annihilation and replacement by an Islamist regime. That's what it says in their charter. Those are frequently expressed and well-documented sentiments of Hamas leaders. So you skip these relevant facts, the violent nature of Hamas, its doctrinal aims, or for that matter, it's split with the Palestinian Authority, and zero in on the current round of conflict, looking at it above all from the perspective of power ratios. You bemoan the imbalance, asserting it's not a fair fight because Israel is the stronger party. You compare casualties, simplistically suggesting the side with the higher number is somehow automatically granted victim status. You even try to offer a rationale for Hamas actions by referring to threatened evictions of four Palestinian families in Jerusalem, failing to note this was a long standing legal issue in the court system, having nothing to do with national interests. You suggest that Israel triggered Hamas' ire by harassing Muslims during Ramadan, which is a misrepresentation of the facts, not to mention that Israel has repeatedly gone to great lengths to protect the right of worship for all faiths. Let's be clear. Hamas' ire for Israel is permanent, as is its goal of one day dominating all allegiances, not only in Gaza, but in East Jerusalem and the West Bank too. And you even try to compare the situation to your own childhood, recalling that your mother told you not to hit your younger siblings, even when provoked, because you were bigger and stronger. Sorry, but your younger siblings were not plotting murder and wrecking social havoc and trying to eliminate you. You're ignoring the true nature of Hamas, the fact that it's been firing thousands of missiles over the years, building cross-border terror tunnels, kidnapping Israelis, and foregoing development in Gaza to focus on damaging Israel, you're downplaying the trauma of millions of Israelis rushing to bomb shelters, caring for the elderly and disabled, and trying to comfort traumatized children as rockets fly overhead. One day peace will be realized, I pray, but it won't happen as long as Hamas rules Gaza, clings to genocidal goals, and snickers people such as yourself into believing it's the victim in a conflict when it is a victim of its own making. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Michael's in Phoenix. Hi, Michael.
0: Hi, Seth. How are you?
1: I'm fine. How are you?
0: I'm very good. Thank you. Um, Just a comment. I appreciate everything you, you just read about the history of this conflict that's been going on. In, in Israel with Palestinians and Hamas and everything. But something I I was taught and, and I don't know how correct it is, but I mean two thousand years ago um the Romans named the land Palestine and the Palestinians were the Jews. Is that is that wrong?
1: Well, no, I don't think so. Uh, it, I, I, they, they, Paul Johnson and other historians have have talked about this. How they did rename it all after one thirty five. Everything was taken down. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so, I mean, the the Palestinians. I mean, technically speaking, are there? Arabs who are Palestinian, no. or are they...
1: No. no. Well, I mean, yes, if you want to consider the, land, the the people that lived in what was once called Transjordan, 80% of the country of Jordan by this definition would be Palestinian. You might say that's your Palestinian state. In fact, many people once thought it was uh, or should be the Palestinian state. Um, it's also why when Jordan controlled the West Bank from 1948 to 1967, It didn't proclaim a separate Palestinian state um, or a second Palestinian state, I should say. But the idea um, that uh, the Romans had conquered the territory finally by 135, um, it doesn't – there was nothing sovereign between then and 1948 is the point that Mr. Harris was making, Michael. It was that territory was always controlled – by outside groups, it was never a sovereign entity, including when the Ottoman Empire owned it.
0: And and again, historically, I mean, when the Romans in other words, in it was it was a sovereign
1: it, state for Jews and uh, a land that other people col- colonized for years. That's all it ever was.
0: Well, well, yeah. I mean, the borders were outlined in in the Bible, weren't they?
1: Well, those are borders that the Bible outlined. The U.N. gave borders in 1947 and 1948, which were more modern. They were different from the borders of 1922. But uh, the larger point is that in 1948, two states were proffered. One people said yes, the Jews The Palestinians said no, and there's been war ever since, although there have been offers for statehood ever since. On our May 25th event with Mike Gallagher and Seb Gorka, me and Andy Biggs, I've got two tickets to give away to the next phone caller here. May 25th, Crisis at the Border. For those that are not the next caller, by the way, you can get your tickets at 960thepatriot.com. And Mike Gallagher coming right up.